was so blessed last week. I preached on Sunday night. Oh, little announcement. I forgot the announcement. Fat young people, stay where you are. Fatmon and Ayo, who were doing youth this morning, have been struck down with severe food poisoning. So the youth church isn't on. However, I am youthful and this is church, so we're okay. No panic, young people. Um, you've got me instead of Barry, so all is youthful. And um, for anybody who's new today, I didn't notice that my husband referred to me as his wife about eight times and not once as my name. I'm Vicky. Pleased to meet you. Um, not just the wife, her indoors, my queen. Um, he doesn't call me my queen. I would kill him if he called me my queen. But he's from Liverpool, so. Um, so last week, yeah, 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 back on track. Last Sunday night, I preached a message. And I was so blessed by the response I got from people. Because as my prop, I used a hula hoop. And what blessed me is that some people believed in me that much that they thought I was going to hula hoop on stage. They were like, we were convinced you were going to hula hoop. And I'm like, gosh, like... They believe in me that much that they think I can even hula hoop. Now, my husband said, my husband, Barry, said, when you go, okay, so, don't worry about this, it'll sort itself out. The look of horror on his face. Whereas everybody else believed in me that I could actually hula hoop. But anyway, I didn't hula hoop. But I was truly blessed that people actually believed in me. Um, the royal wedding yesterday, anybody watch it? What was that preacher like? Oh, my days. And I was like, there is the gospel worldwide, in a nutshell, boom. Like, no one else needs to say anything. And then we got the traditional English bit came in, and I'm like, oh. You know, but you could see, couldn't you? Everybody being turfed out of the comfort zone, and everybody like, oh, what do we do with this? Oh, what is he saying? Like, I, there was side glance to each other, weren't they? All the royal family. And I love the royal family, so I'm not dissing them or anything, but... But you could see that uncomfortable. But the thing is, when they went home last night and got in bed, and it's just them, and they're not having to think, what's the prince thinking, and what's the queen thinking, and what's, you know, whoever down the, down the, the, the rose thinking. Like, it was preached. <laughs> they can never say they never, ever heard the gospel. It was preached. And then it's a choice for them. It's their decision, isn't it? And although they're not going to suddenly, like, go and kneel at the altar in uh, Windsor Chapel and, and do all that, when they went to ho at home last night, and it was them and God, you know, I prayed. I was believing, God, let us see let, in our governments. Let us see in our royal family. Let us see. Let us see transformation, spiritual transformation that will change the country and beyond. That's not in my notes at all. Um, but, but anyway, I had to follow the preach that was done in Windsor, in, uh, Windsor Chapel yesterday. And I'm like, my gosh, he was like amazing. So I'm going to put the video up. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> So we've been doing a series for numerous weeks now called What Makes Them So Special? And this is our final week. You've got me this morning and Sir Tony tonight. Uh, Sir Tony, yes. Um, and uh, I'm not gonna, I was going to say what you're preaching on, but I'm not. I'm going to lead the suspense. Turn up tonight, 6 o'clock. Can you believe that Jesus comes to the house twice on a Sunday? <laughs> 10.30 in the morning and 6 at night, he actually shows up. That is amazing. So if you want to come and listen to Tony tonight, um, uh, that's 6 p.m. But my, um, I'm going to share two verses that I shared last week with regard to this series because I believe this series has been so powerful. 
you know, we have looked at different people and different characters in the Bible, and, and it's great getting a history knowledge, but it's got to apply now to our lives. Otherwise, I, I feel, what's the point? It's great having all this knowledge about them, but what's the point? And this, this sermon series, everybody who's got up and preached have used these Bible characters that often we put on a pedestal and think that they never get anything wrong to go, you know what, they were completely flawed, completely flawed, but what they did was they responded to God. That was the thing, they responded to God. And, um, and it says in Hebrews chapter 11, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets by faith. Didn't matter that they screwed up, didn't matter that they were full of flaws, by faith. That's what changed everything. These people, listen to this, they overthrew kingdoms, they ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became, so they became it. God didn't pick them because he, they were strong and they didn't have flaws. They became it because, you see, God saw the finished article. God saw the battle won. God saw the victory that was going to come just purely through their faith. So they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. And then in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. I don't know about you, but I have sat through this series. And, and you know, me and Barry, we have stuff going on in our life. Just because we lead the church, it doesn't mean that, you know, we've got it all together and nothing ever goes wrong. And we have stuff going on in our life. And, and listening to the preachers and sitting, going through these series. And, and I sat there and it, it, it's encouraged me. It's encouraged me in my waiting. It's, it's, it's raised my faith. It's like, no, you know what? These were people just like me, just like me, God. And you were faithful because you saw the finished article. You saw the battle won. You saw the victory. All they needed to do was step up and have faith. And it's encouraged me. If you've missed any, I'd encourage you to get on the podcast site and catch up on any of the preachers you've missed for this series. Um, and today we can come in and we can be really laid back and just... Like, tick Sunday morning off your list, because that's what I do. I go to church on Sunday morning. We can be hungry for more. Like, I don't, I'm always hungry for more. I'm always striving, not in, a, in a, a way that I'm unhappy, but in a way that, God, there's always more. I'm never going to get to the end of you. You are going to keep transforming me and transforming me and transforming me. And I'm always hungry. I'm always, I don't want to stay still in God. I always want to grow in him. And so today I pray that our stance in this place, our stance would be one of being on the edge of our seats expectant for what God is about to say. Yeah, that was about three other people. That was great. Anybody else want to be on the edge of your seat with expectation for what God's going to do? Yeah. That's good. Okay, ten. Fab. Um, so, like when you press the info button on Sky, as I discovered about a month ago, it tells you what a program is about, right? I didn't know this. I'd like, you know, you'd see a title of a film and I used to think, I don't know what that film's going to be about. Press the information, brings up what it's about. I'm going to press the information button on the character I am speaking about this morning. I think the first thing I'm going to say is going to give it away to some people. His name means, I lifted him out of the water. Anyone? 
<laughs> yeah, Moses, well done, Tony. He was nervous then in case he got it wrong. <laughs> um, you know, and most of you from being in school will know about the story of Moses. So basically, this is a really fast recap on the story because I'm not going to go over the whole story. Um, so the uh, Egyptians ordered that the, any male babies that were born to Israelites would be killed, right? Because the Egyptians were ruling the Israelites, they were oppressing the Israelites, and they wanted to keep the Israelites down, they wanted to keep control of them. And so the, the latest thing from Pharaoh was any male babies born, they needed to kill them. Um, and uh, for the midwives, the Egyptian midwives, they wouldn't adhere to it, they wouldn't go along with it. Um, and so, but it still went ahead that all these babies, they had to be killed. And then there was this one baby boy that was born and his mother wasn't going to let him go. She hid him in a home and she hid him there until she could hide him no longer. And then she didn't know what to do with him because you can imagine the cries would be heard and, and things like this. And so she puts him in a basket, the Moses basket. And she puts him in a basket and she puts him on the river. And she lets him sail away. And his sister Miriam keeps an eye out for what's happening. And as he sails away, the lady who finds him is Pharaoh's daughter. And she rescues the baby. And she knew that he was a Hebrew baby, but she still wanted to keep him. And she wanted him to be hers. And as it happens, the sister sees what happens and goes and gets the mother. And the mother, Moses' mother, ends up taking care of him until he is older. And then hands him over to Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses, Moses is a great man of God. I think if I could mention the word Moses even to somebody in the supermarket, they would have heard of Moses at some times. But how did he measure up in the godly category? All right, like, you know, because we, like I say, we put them up here and they never did any wrong and then everything. How did Moses measure up in the godly category? Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11, says this. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how they were forced to work. During his, during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. He knew they were his people. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Would you expect that from a man of God? He went and killed and hid. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill us? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Moses made a great mistake. Like, this is like a, quite a huge one. Murder is like, ah, ah, it's up there in it, like with some of the really bad ones. This is what Moses did. And then he becomes full of fear that people are going to find out about him and know what he's done. And then he runs away. He runs away. He thinks, if I can just leave all this behind, if I can just go somewhere else, it will all be erased from my past. It will all go away. When he went to Midian, that was where he met his wife and he had children. 
and we settle down. And then picking it up in Exodus chapter 3, this is where Moses begins to take center stage. And God speaks to Moses. And you know from the series that we've been doing so far that we've seen all the flaws of the different characters and then God speaks. And here's the thing, when God speaks, that's when it goes center stage. That's when it goes center stage. And the focus isn't just on God. The focus is on Moses. The focus is on me. The focus is on you as to what we do with it when God speaks. It says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. So he started this new life and he's become a shepherd. He's looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. Moses was not walking around looking for the miraculous. He wasn't walking around expecting God to speak to him because he goes, whoa, that's amazing. How the heck's that happening? Oh, I'll go and have a look. He didn't see it happening and go, there we go, on my knees, God is speaking. He was like, what's going on there? Moses wasn't walking expecting to see a miracle. He was just going about his everyday business. When the Lord saw Moses come in to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals. You are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the, people of, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. You see, Moses knew of the injustice that was going on to his people. That's why he killed the Egyptian. That's why he did it. Yeah, he murdered. Yeah, he got it on. But that's why he did it, because there was an injustice going on. He saw the injustice that was going on. And he killed for the injustice. And he had to leave a life behind. And he left his family behind because of the injustice. And I'm sure he was relieved to hear that God had got it all in hand. And that he didn't need to be concerned, because God saw and God was going to deal it, and God was going to bring them out of this horrible situation they were in into something much greater. And then God says to Moses, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. God is saying to Moses, now you are going to go back to the man who tries to kill you, you're going to face all the murmurings that are going around all about you, Moses, because of what you did and how you got it wrong and how you messed up. That, that's where I'm sending you back to. I'm not sending you to a comfy place. This is where I'm sending you back to. 
And so Moses has gone from this relief of, oh, God's got it all in hand, to God going, and actually, it's you. You are the one that I'm going to send. You are the one I'm going to send back. Moses had settled into his comfy life. He'd got his wife. He'd got his kids. He'd got his job. Everything was going well. And then God disrupts it all. And he decides, I'm sending you back. But I'm sending you back to win a victory. I'm not sending you back in shame. I'm sending you back to win a victory, Moses. To face the one who tried to kill you. To face the murmurings of what you did. But Moses protested. He protested to God, who am I? Have you ever felt like that? Who am I? God, who am I that you would choose me? Who am I? To appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered this. Dead easy. I will be with you. And this is your sign. That I am the one who sent you. And here's the thing. In this place today. There are some people in. You are protesting. Like Moses protested. You know that there is a chapter in your life. You know there's something you've got to walk into. You know there's something that you've got to face. And you are protesting. And maybe you are protesting through comfort. Maybe you are protesting through fear. Um, maybe it is just because it just all seems so overwhelming. But what God is saying to you today is this. Here, now, this whole service is your sign. That I am with you. Because I'm speaking directly to you. Here, now, this is your sign. Don't go looking for anything else. Here, now. This is your sign. And as the story continues, Moses continues to protest. He was just human. God kept giving him the answers. You go home and read the story. It's an incredible story. And God kept telling him what he was going to do. And it was going to be, this is what you're going to say. He even gave him a script of what he was going to say. Moses still kept protesting. It says in chapter 4, but Moses protested again. What if? It was first, who am I? God's like, well, I'm with you. He was like, all right, okay. What if? The great what if. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? God had talked to him so much, but Moses still didn't trust. Because you see, Moses had major confidence issues. He had major confidence issues. It says in this story, it says this, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. You see, God was asking Moses to go and give these grand speeches. And Moses is like, mm -mm, it's not me. He says, God, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get all tangled. God, I can't do it. It's not me. Don't ask me. And then there's a few words in one of the verses and it's a game changer. Because the Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? So God has gone from these grand speeches, Moses protesting and protesting and protesting. And, and like then he starts to explain, listen God, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you. I can't speak. I get tongue-tied. I'm too shy. I can't do it God. And you're asking me to do this. And God just goes, what's that in your hand Moses? What's that? And changes everything. And you see, every preacher wants to be thankful that they have a friend who gets random things and puts them away in her cupboard in case they're ever going to be useful. 
have that in your hand, Moses. What is it? Moses replied, a shepherd's staff. That was the most random change of conversation. The most random change of conversation, but God's not random. He knows exactly what he's doing all the time. And he sees us as the finished article. He didn't see Moses as somebody who got tongue-tied. He didn't see Moses as somebody who lacked confidence. He didn't see Moses as somebody who murdered. What he saw was he saw the finished picture. And he knew if this man will just trust me. If this man with his staff in hand who jumps up after the sheep, sheep who are messed things up, if he can just trust me. The staff doesn't look much. But this staff was what made Moses feel safe. This staff was Moses' identity. Because this is what he did. Wherever he went, he had it. It was his safety. It was the safety of his flock. It was what he stood behind. It's what he leaned on in the heat of the day when he was tired and had been up tending the sheep. Since early in the morning, it was, it was Moses. It was Moses. The staff was Moses. And God knew. God knew that. And the focus suddenly shifts from Moses to the staff. And God says to Moses, throw it down on the ground. Don't panic, your staff is safe. <laughs> so Moses threw the staff on the ground. And it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. He jumped back because he didn't expect to see what he was about to see. Because it turned into a snake. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab it by its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. You see, Moses jumped back because he wasn't expecting to see the miraculous. Because he was so in his human form, he was so in his human self that he knew God was speaking to him. But who he thought he was shouted far louder than who God was telling him he was. And so God used something very practical, something that was so close to Moses' heart, to show the miraculous. And Moses jumped back because he didn't expect to see it. God interrupts Moses at a time when he is most comfortable. He interrupts Moses' world when he's got everything together. And Moses can bring out the excuse that he's lived with for so long, God, you can't expect me to talk. I'm not up to the job. What's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? God wasn't going to go, all right, Moses, okay, I'll write you off. What's that in your hand, Moses? Because God wanted Moses to see his power so that Moses would trust, that Moses would have that faith, that Moses' faith would go from here in, his, in himself because his faith was in himself and his lack of ability to hear because I know who God is. Moses was okay looking after the sheep. He was confident looking after the sheep. Moses had set up his own life. He'd fled from his past and he'd set up this life. And the staff was part of him. Went everywhere with him. He had confidence in it. His identity was in it. His purpose was in it. His safety was in it. It was something to lean on. It was something to hide behind. Can you picture it on the hillside as he's looking after the sheep in the quiet? 
Maybe his mind begins to wander of the things that he's done in the past, of the land that he's left behind. Can you imagine it as he leans on his staff? I don't know, maybe he's thankful that he's left it behind. Maybe he's got regrets. I don't know what's going through Moses' mind at that time. But one thing I do know is that his staff was with him. And he was comfortable and he was safe. And to other people, he'd left something behind, but in him, he hadn't. And he was still being impacted by, I can't change. I've done this wrong. I've done that wrong. I'm not enough. See, when he would feel those things, one glance of the staff reminded him of who he was now. It's okay. I'm saved. I'm married. I've got the children. I've got the job. It's okay. And I'm going to give everything to it. I'm going to support it. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to give everything I can. You see, the Hebrew staff, you read about the Hebrew staff, it was very personal to them. The Hebrew staff was hard-wearing. It was designed so that when a shepherd was given a staff, it would last them a lifetime. It wasn't going to break. It was coated in something that it would weather the storms. The staff was gifted to them for the rest of their days and that it would never break and it would never let them down. For some, it was a diary because you would see on the staff that they would put things down to mark memorable things that had happened. Maybe it was a victory they had on the hillside. Maybe it was a defeat they had on the hillside, but they would look to the staff and it would portray their life. And God said, what's in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand? See, the staff was significant of a life that Moses had designed. When Moses fled, he designed a life for himself. And the staff was significant of that. See, when God said, what's that in your hand? It's like God saying, what's that that you hold so tightly onto? What is it? What are you holding so tightly onto, Moses? You can't truly hear my voice. What is it, Moses? It's that very thing. I want to turn into the miraculous. And you are going to have no idea how your life will pan out if you will just trust me. Because that staff that your identity in is going to be the miraculous for your life. Because this staff was going to go on to perform miracle after miracle after miracle. It was going to be key to the whole of Moses' ministry and Moses' life. God was saying, what is it that you're holding on to so tightly, Moses? You know, there was a time in our life, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's a long testimony, but, you know, Barry had got, was very affluent in the workplace, and he'd got an incredible job, and he worked with the number one chartered accountancy firm in the world, and he beat 20,000 people to get his job, and we kind of got it made, and I thought we had, <laughs> and and, you know, it had been hard when we'd first got married financially. It had been difficult. And then he got this job and it was like, this is it. This is it. And then he transferred over to teach and he could have worked his way up to head teacher. They all wanted him. I'm not saying that to big him up. I'm just saying they all wanted him. And then Barry decided to go and do some work experience at a school in Liverpool. And it was a Christian school. And he had to go and do the work experience. So basically, they got a free teacher for a month. And when he went to do it, I knew what was going to happen. 
I knew God was going to speak to him and say to him, I want you to go and work there. Now, you may think, what's the big deal about that? What does it matter? But going and working there was a quarter of Barry's wages. It didn't even pay the mortgage, never mind anybody else. I was heavily pregnant with Eleanor, and we'd already got the three children. We'd got a mortgage, and, and I'm like, and I remember Barry coming to me and saying to me, Vicky, I've got to go and work at this school, and I, and I went, you can't. I was like, you can't, Barry, you can't do it. I was like, a fear gripped me. I was like, you can't do it. And I would sit down and I'd try and do the finances to show him, Barry, this does not make sense. You can't do it. And Barry said this to me, you know what? I can because God said, and I'm telling you for six months, like it wasn't the Waltons in our house, right? Because like I was not impressed because my faith then wasn't what my faith is now. And so, you know, he was adamant he was going, whether I agreed with it or not, because he was like, because he needs, he, he was like, I've got to lead my family in the ways of the Lord, no matter what the cost, I've got to lead my family in the ways of the Lord. And I remember about two months before he was due to start there, and he'd handed his notice in and everything, and I was like, I was well across. And, and about two months before, you see, all this time that I've been fighting it, I knew deep down it was the right thing to do. But I was fighting against it. I was fighting against what God was asking of us as, as a family. Because we got status. I loved God. I was in church. We were serving in church. But I got status. And Barry's career, he was climbing the career ladder. And it was great. And we were never going to have to worry about money. And, and it was a security for our family and, and everything. But deep down, God was like, but what about me? And Barry was due to fly out to Romania. And I remember the night before sitting in the kitchen and just saying to him, Barry... Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. And the peace filled me. That had been something I'd been striving over for so long. And you know, that created a ripple effect of miracles in our life. That we, like, like the global financial crash happened. And like, cut our mortgage to next to nothing. Like, bills started to come down we were given more money than we expected but it came from there let's do it let's do it however it's going to look but as Moses you see as, as Moses released when God said throw that staff down as Moses released it released a miracle it released a miracle it released a miraculous for his life it released a miraculous for thousands and thousands and generations and generations to come because he had to release what he was hiding behind. He had to release what had defined him. Moses had to go from being tightly gripping that staff to being open-handed with it. And going, God, whatever, whatever it takes, God will do it. We'll do it. And I know for me, I spent so long in my life, and I don't know whether anybody can... Um, you know, kind of like witness with this of holding it, controlling it, trying, 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 creating a new life here, creating, then that's not worked, so I'll create a new life there, and, and I'm trying, I'm striving, I'm striving, I'm striving. And that was what Moses was doing until God said, what have you got in your hand? What have you got in your hand? Throw it down and release the miracle. But until you throw it down and you give it to me, you can't release the miracle because you're holding it too tightly. him letting go and surrendering it required me at that time in our life to let go and surrender and just say God I believe you 
I believe in you. And maybe for your life today, the question is, God's saying is, what's that in your hands? What's that? Imagine what it can be when you release it to me. Imagine. God's saying, don't try and control it all. Don't try and control the family. Don't try and control your finances. Don't try and control your business. Don't try and control it all. Throw it down and give it to me. God's saying, what's that that you've built for yourself? Just like Moses had on the hillside. What is it that you're fearful of letting go of? What's that that you find your confidence in? What is it? What is it that gives you identity and purpose? What is it? Is it your business? Is it your occupation? Is it your talent? Maybe you've got a real gift and you're identity is in that is it your finance is it your status is it your position is it a title as long as we hold on to something we will be it will become lifeless whereas handing it over to God will create the miraculous it will create something more than you have ever imagined your whole life will be a life of miracles God says, I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to take your life and it will become miraculous, but you've got to surrender it. You've got to stop holding on to it. You've got to stop trying to create it. You see this, it went from being lifeless to being life-giving and to changing things for generations to come. Moses' identity wasn't the staff. He thought it was, but it was who God said he was. Moses' identity was who God said he was, that he was chosen, that he hadn't been left behind. He was chosen. He'd been chosen by Creator God. He'd been chosen by the Most High God, but he couldn't enter into the miraculous until he laid down what he was holding on so tightly to in his hand. And church, I would say to you today, what are you holding on so tightly to that is, that is pushing down the miraculous? that is binding the miraculous, that is keeping you bound in your life. All God wants you to do today is chuck it down. Chuck it down and see the miraculous happen because you are not what you think you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. You are chosen of God today. You are who you say you are. Let's sing this song. Let's stand to our feet. Let's make this a declaration that I am who God says I am. I am, I am not the staff. I am not my finances. I am not my occupation. I'm who God says I am. And with that, you can never fail.